0: Hey, one more thing before you go, welcome to Spotlight Sunday. In this episode, we spotlight one of my favorite episodes from December of 2020, episode number 45, where I sit down with an incredibly talented Robert Omoto. He's a stand-up comedian, hailing from Sacramento, California. Robert's story is a testament to the power of resilience and finding joy, even in the face of adversity. He discovered the courage to pursue his dream of stand-up comedy through the loss of loved ones. Realizing that our time here isn't guaranteed, this realization transforms his perspective on life, motivating him to choose his passion with an unwavering determination. Tune in as we explore the profound connection between laughter, healing, and discovering one's purpose. We're going to go on one man's journey of loss that led to the courage to pursue stand-up comedy to help him manage his grief and anger. We will learn that having loved ones pass away validates that your time here isn't guaranteed and you should get a different perspective on life. You should pursue what you want to do with it. We will discover in most cases, laughter is the best medicine and the loss of family and friends can motivate you to discover your passion. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is A Thing About A Passion for Making People Laugh. My guest today is Robert Bobby Momodo. He has a flair for bringing the seemingly random tangents that make up his inner thoughts into a well-oiled, if not a tad off-kilter comedy machine. His razor-sharp wit, combined with the life journey that would make Charlie Sheen cringe, meld into a rip-roaring, ridiculous, but always entertaining comedy experience. He was recently named a 2019 stand-up NBC semi-finalist. He hosts and produces the popular podcast, Random Thoughts. My wife and I have watched him perform. He's a fantastic comic, and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on, Michael.
0: I really appreciate it. You have had a very interesting journey into becoming a stand-up comic. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, I mean I've always wanted to be uh, a stand-up comedian I think in the back of my head. Like I've always enjoyed making people laugh. Um but my parents got divorced when I was like in middle school and that was like a lot of that was a big thing for me because it was like a custody battle, um constantly going to mediation and you know, didn't have a lot of uh, ways to get my parents' attention. You know, they weren't coming to my sports. I played basketball and baseball. They weren't coming anymore because they just, you know, were busy in court and constantly going to uh to work. So I would have to do other things for attention. So that's when I really started like writing funny stories in my English class. And my teacher one day just told me to read them out loud um, because she wouldn't tell anyone else to read them. But we were going on a uh, we're sitting in a circle and she's like, "You should read this out loud. It's really funny." And I remember a bunch of people laughed and I was like, there was a way, it was the first time that I saw, I'm like, Oh, I can put my energy into this and get this response that I liked. Cause it, it, I was doing bad things. Uh, like there was a, a, like a huge paper fight Like people were just throwing stuff in class. And I remember one of the teachers, was like if anyone throws anything again, you're going to go to the principal's office. And I just looked at her. And just threw through something right in front of her. She's like, "What is wrong with you?" But I didn't want to go home, you know, because my parents were fighting all the time. So I was I was I would have like liked to go to the principal's office just so I didn't have to be home and hear them arguing. Um, but after that, when I went to like college, is when I really started to kind of come out of my shell, and you know, I was a president of the of a multicultural fraternity at Sac State. And I'd have to talk every Tuesday to like all my friends, but keep their attention. So I'd have to like make jokes. You know, I couldn't just be serious. So I'd have to crack jokes and make, you know, make them laugh. And so I I think all those things kind of started like, you know, whatever the fire for it. Um, And I've always been funny around my friends. I just didn't know where to put the energy or how to go about it. And I started listening to like Joe Rogan's podcast um, years ago. Uh, I want to say like maybe like seven or eight years ago. And hearing how he just, you know, how I, he'd bring comics on. They all started the same way, going to open mics and, you know, bombing for years. And I actually went to a comedy class and I went up and I finished a comedy class. And I remember, I, you know, I went up the first time and I just ate it. And that was the most humbling thing I've ever experienced in my life because it was something I thought I was good at. And all of a sudden, like one of my best traits of my personality is I found out like I wasn't good at it and I knew it was going to be hard and I didn't go up. Um, I kind of just stopped. And then um, a loved one passed away, uh, my aunt. And I remember thinking like, you don't, you know, you don't get to choose when you go. Like I was because I I started thinking, I'll just do it later. I'll, you know, I'll I'll, I'm not good enough. I need to keep writing and putting it off um, and not facing that fear of uh, what i just felt with that which was just embarrassment you know i sucked i was nervous i was sweating people weren't laughing they didn't like me you know and after she passed and after i had a close friend um jr reardon passed who who was in a uh, college with me and he was a guy that everybody liked like he was the guy who played all the sports he was friends with he, re- he was really similar to me in a lot of ways like we got along with everyone and he just passed away all of a sudden out of nowhere on a basketball court and he had two kids and I remember him talking to me about like these things he was going to do when he retired and he had just commented on one of my Facebook posts like I don't usually read these long things but I always do when my when my friend Robert posts something and that was like another thing where I was just like you don't you really don't get to choose when you get to go and you can have all these plans but you're never you know if you don't do them you're just you know they might not happen
0: and that that's i mean we all think that way that's the whole purpose of one more thing before you go my podcast actually is you know one more thing before you go you need to take the time you need to open your eyes you need to say what you want to say you need to do what you need to do in order to help your life move forward did that give you the courage then to start pursuing more stand up because of that realization
1: it did because like i was really close to that guy um jr And, you know, I went to his funeral. I just remember I was like, you know, he was in shape. It didn't, it doesn't, none of the stuff mattered that I thought mattered, you know, like he was in shape, he had friends and it was just, it's still, life doesn't like care about you like that. So it's like in my head, I had all these things I want to do. And I'm like, okay, you're scared of like, not the, the failure or the, the fear of not, or being judged of not doing something. But you know what? Like that, that made me just be like, you need to do it for them. Because they're no longer here. So everything that they wanted to do, their goals, what would they want you to do if they were here? They would tell me to go do that. They would want – my aunt would want me to be on like pursuing comedy. My JR would want – was happy that I was like writing funny stuff. He's told me I should do something like that before. And I'm like – so it's my – I felt it was kind of like my responsibility of whatever time I have left here, like I need to like put any type of whatever like is fear, doubt, all that stuff. I need to confront that. and. Cause I was, I was, you know, I still, during the day I had to work in an office, but like I was really unhappy with my job in an office. I didn't, I didn't feel there was a point to what I was doing. I didn't feel like I was making a difference. I'm like, I'm just wasting my life here to kind of do what my mom wanted me to do. She wanted me to get a secure job in an office and get retirement, you know, and I had just seen, you know, my friend have that same plan. It didn't work out. Right. And I, and, and every time I swear that I had this thing of like, where comedy was getting really hard. And like you start having doubt, like somebody else would pass away and it would just re- like, nope, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I need to, I need to keep doing this. And once I kind of made that a habit in my life of where like, no, this is just – I made it something I do. Like I go to open mics. I, re- I write. I rehearse. I practice. And I just go – I go – whoever I think – whoever I thought was working a lot, I was like I need to do more than that guy. And in my head, just because I've always played sports. So I just knew I attacked it kind of like within sports mentality of I'm just going to try to outwork everyone and um, get on stage as much as I can and know when I'm not doing well, when I'm bombing, that's just part of it. You know,
0: it's like their passing gave you a different perspective on your life, basically, and what you wanted and should do.
1: Right. I didn't think there was going to be any like I didn't think me working in an office getting retirement and whatever people's goals are at the end, like I'll travel when I'm like 90, when I finally get retire. Like I just didn't, I'm like, no, I'm not going to, I might not make it to there. Like a bunch of people that I thought, um, didn't. So I'm going to like do what I want to do. And one of my big things too, is like a lot of people on this planet, like you don't really get remembered, you know, like two generations down, you, no one really, if you, if you, I, got, I was walking around a cemetery and I'm looking and like someone passed away in 1902. I'm like, no one remembers this guy now. Like, I don't know what he did. I don't know who he was. He could have been like, you know, he could have been a nice guy. Could have been like, but you remember the people who actually did something in their life. Um, And that's one of the things where I was just like, I don't want to just be a name. Um, I wanted to do something that had like a lasting effect and, and, had some like body of work where people I could be remembered by but also too that when I started getting laughs and seeing the smiles on people's faces and I started feeling more confident like that I can't even explain that feeling though like when I'm getting laughs is like I don't and just seeing that the smile on people's face like I know that I was like I'm supposed to be doing that
0: I'm sure it's got a a very satisfying feeling. It should make you feel good inside that. I mean, laughter, as they say, is the best medicine. People go to comedy clubs and they go to hear people like you, comedians, because they want to escape. And part of that escape is coming into your world.
1: Right. And I think, look, I mean, look how much stuff's going on now. And, you know, with, uh, with all the, the, you know, the crazy police stuff going on right now, the, you know, COVID people constantly, and like yesterday, Chadwick, uh, uh Bozeman died, you know, from yeah, the black cancer. Really and I didn't know he was battling cancer, but you just, I, I look at things like that. I'm like, look what he was trying to do with his life. He didn't put it on display that he had been battling cancer. You know, it wasn't like a, I don't think it was a public thing. Um, but you know, just to see. Someone like that. He did leave a legacy. He did what he, he with his time on earth. Like I, I really think if people, there was a movie with, um, that movie with Justin Timberlake where they had the time on their hand. I can't remember what it is, but your life pretty much is like, I, that, that was the currency. I was like, you know how, how differently people would live their life if they knew him? If, I think people think they're going to live till they're a hundred and that's not how I think about it. So, I mean, I still have my moments where I'm being lazy, not doing anything, watching Netflix, you know, in the same show I've watched before. But I really try to keep that um, in perspective where I try to utilize my time and towards getting better and working on comedy.
0: Yeah, life can change in an instant. Um, In my previous profession, I absolutely 100% saw that life can change in an instant. Nobody can have an expectation that when somebody walks out the front door, whether or not they're going to come home. And for whatever reason, anything could happen. Um, when you go to bed at night; you don't know if you'll wake up in the morning. And even with uh, uh, <laughs> the Black Panther guy, Chadwick,
1: uh, Chadwick Boseman, he, yeah,
0: he—I mean, he look at him—you think he was a one a healthy, yeah, strong individual <laughs> that. I had no idea either. And I've watched, we've got members of my family. I've got My father died at 39 of cancer. My stepfather died of cancer. My grandparents both died of cancer. Two uncles died of cancer. I never had a clue in watching him that he was even battling that whatsoever. It was just hidden. And you would never think somebody in that good of shape and somebody with that kind of drive and that kind of money because he had money. He wasn't, you know, he had the means to, to get help, to get cured if, you know, if that was the case. To be and it and it wasn't. It's really kind of a sad situation, actually.
1: And one of the ones that like really affected me this year was the. I'm just a. I am a sports fan, um, but I've I'm from Sacramento, right? And I've liked my favorite sport. Watch is the NBA, but and one of the big ones was Kobe Bryant passing. And he used to kill us in the playoffs. Like he, he killed the Kings any, the, the whole year that we were supposed to win it when we were really good a long time ago, he, he was the one just putting the dagger in, in us every game. And, uh, but I always liked him watching his, you know, his, his, uh, as an opponent, just how hard he worked and just, you hear all these stories about him, you know, about how hard he worked, you know, he, people that you thought worked hard. He goes, man, I thought I worked hard. And they're like, no, I came, you know, and then I saw him and he's like, I don't work hard you know and there's tons of stories like that where um one of the rookies Jason Williams was um came to the gym like i think 3 hours before to get some shots up he's like oh, I want to play the Lakers I'm playing Kobe I I want to make sure I get my shots up I'm going to do more than I normally do he came in and Kobe was already in full sweat like he was already worked had worked out like like way before him and then he <laughs> he finished his workout and he goes I'm done with my workout he came before me and He's sitting there, he goes, How long is he? Because he's done with work. He's sitting I'm gonna sit here and watch how long this guy works out. And he sat there. He said he did it like another 30, 45 minutes. He's like, Dude, I, he had to ask him, He said, Why do you work so hard? He goes, He's like, Cause I saw, I saw you come in and I wanna let you know that you'll never catch me. Like, <laughs> 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 that competitor, but it's like, you know, and, and look, and that's another thing too. When he passed away, I didn't think it was real. And I'm like, That's a guy that I wouldn't think. You just don't even picture him dying for some reason. Like he's yeah, seemed, he you know, almost like he was a good person, like mythical, not, not like he, you know, not just someone that you don't. Yeah. You just pictured being, you know, I don't know, like he just doesn't pass away. Living forever. Yeah, living forever. And so when that happened, that was like another thing where it's like, dude, oh, if he's not immune, like I'm nobody. <laughs> like I'm, I, I can definitely get hit by a car across on a crosswalk, or anything like that. But my, you know, and having, I have a son now, two and a half has really changed my perspective on really making sure that you know if i i take comedy seriously because i'm like i need to make it i have to you know or else it is a waste of time anything i'm doing is a waste it, i look at it like that if i don't then that's on me and i am wasting time you know because i'm away from my son when i go do it uh but it's also it was a big thing as soon as i had my son was a realization like I want to be able to tell him like you can be anything, chase your dreams and if if I'm not doing that myself then like how can I tell him that?
0: Oh exactly that's a good point um having children changes our perspective on life being a father, being a mother changes your perspective on life and how you approach it
1: did you well let me ask you something when you um you said you got in the uh the incident you know uh that put you in like well they thought you were going to be in a wheelchair did that? Before every day, you know, being a cop, it, that is in your mind though, like, right, I, I might not come home, right? There's something can happen. Did, was it real? Did it change once that happened?
0: Yes. I mean, in actuality, the fact is, is that every day that you walk out the door, um, you don't know whether or not you're coming back home. My wife didn't sleep. When I was working night night shift, she was better, obviously, when because I rotated shifts. Not everybody rotates shifts. So We rotated shifts every three months. So when I was working night shift, depending upon uh, which nights, whether it be the 4 to 11 or, or 4 to midnight or midnight to, you know, 8 in the morning, it, she wouldn't sleep. The kids, it's a different perspective raising your kids in that environment as well. So... Um, yes, the thought is always on your mind. The thought is always present when you go out on the street because there are stories that my wife will never ever know about because that all that would do is enhance that, that thought for her that, well, if that happened, maybe next time, you know, and that's just going to create more anxiety for my wife and my kids. So it's tough. When you tell me what and nowadays, especially nowadays, it is just this environment today, um yeah it, it's just so negative and it is getting more and more violent than when I was a cop. Um I mean it was still violent when I was a cop, don't get me wrong.
1: But I have a lot of friends in law enforcement and they always just tell me it's like they said it's like they explained to me it's like a. Uh, men in black like they see two different like what they see out there like it is like completely you know when they see the, the, he goes to that world where or the office where it's just aliens everywhere he's like i i see a completely different world than you see even when i'm out
0: oh absolutely it is like what cops see and obviously i'm not trying to make this into hey i'm def- defending anything other than the fact that the police officers law enforcement officers out there see the the worst the worst of people and they see the best people at their worst, okay? They don't go out there. If you have an experience with a police officer or a deputy sheriff or a state trooper or anybody else, it's typically one for one of two reasons. Mm. You're either being talked to because of a crime that has been committed, or you are the victim of a crime, or you're delivering uh, a message that somebody's died or somebody you've lost somebody. So that environment plays on you every day because you see the worst of people you see the worst in everything you know most people don't go into the ghetto areas of town they don't ever see them and if they do they go holy crap i can't believe i even came through there you know what the hell is going on here i don't understand why this is like downtown phoenix south phoenix you go to south phoenix and it's a completely different world than where i am at which is 35 miles north of phoenix it's the environment that's there you have to remember that cops live it every day and they see the worst in people every day they see the drug dealers the prostitutes the the murders the suicide the assaults the domestic violence the burglaries the victims they're being a shoulder to cry on for everybody they're they're having to console people they're having to calm people down they're having to make split second decisions on whether or not they need to use any kind of force on anybody, especially nowadays, and and then still worry about going home
1: at night, right? Because that's got yeah, and yeah, go that's got to be night. in the in the back of your head.
0: You know, you have to, it's hard on a family. You know, it, it's hard on a family. If if I ever had to do it all over again, I, you know, I I don't regret getting married, but I regret putting my Was family that, through. Well, a, a certain, certain portion, portion of it
1: now. is it just because that's how you had to be, at during the time. Like, how long were you a police officer? for? Uh,
0: Almost 17 years, and then I was a sergeant before I retired, and um, the whole incident was that that I got hit by a suspect trying to escape, and he pinned me between his vehicle and my vehicle, and then he backed up and tried to run me over again, and um, basically, it ended my career, and um, I have had a 20-year journey with medical issues, (laughs) ongoing medical issues that I've had to overcome. And in the process of that, of the injuries that I did have turned into like a severe rheumatoid arthritis. And that in itself kind of put me, between everything, put me in a wheelchair. And um, again, I was diagnosed to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I had to make a cognitive choice to say, I'm done with this, not going to do this anymore. And you know, realistically, from the time I was a law enforcement officer, even the last 20 years, on top of that, my family has been a part of the the whole incident, theoretically, because there's I could not be the father I should have been. I could not, you know, I had to work hard, hard to get out of a wheelchair to walk my oldest daughter down the aisle. And I walk slow, but I did it. Okay. But mm-hmm. not everybody has that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 a They've had to experience, from a familiar perspective, they've had to experience all of my issues 20 years since I retired. You know, the whole journey. Every time I have a flare-up, every time I'm in pain, every time I'm, you know, angry, depressed, I go through it. I'm not happy all the time. I get angry at the fact that some things were taken away from me. My ability to do something, it was taken away from me. My my, um, my, My ability to travel. My ability to—it sounds like I'm really bitching about everything, but my ability. No,
1: but that's a huge thing to know. Like, like it is interesting to see how much it, it affected your life.
0: It and it does. It affects my wife, my life, my wife's life, my sister's uh, life, my brother's life, my kids' lives. Because there are certain limitations that we all have to pertain to whenever we do anything. So, even going to something like Disneyland. Okay, my kids keep wanting me to go to Disneyland with them. They're old. They're my kids are older, but they still mm-hmm. the both of them, my two the my oldest daughter and her husband. They both work for Disneyland, which is closed down now. But for years, they're going. You got to come to Disneyland. You got to see us come to work. You got to come. got to come to Disneyland? Well, I have limitations. So those limitations, I said. Well, what am I going to do? Uh, I well, you're going to see us. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to pay 115 bucks to come in, and I mean, <laughs> you know, not to be. I'm not trying to be rude, but I have limitations. So every time we go somewhere, we have to plan for limitations which is difficult. Do they the just
1: want you to come so they can cut the line? You no. get the, <laughs> you the pass? That's, 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 you're, you're thinking they really want you to go, and they're just using you so you can get in that, that VIP line to, to cut everybody. You know, that's it. You, you, you hit it, boy. You got it. <laughs> like, sit over there and eat cotton candy. We're going to go on this ride again. Yeah, we'll
0: be back in a little while.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> like. Uh, but, uh, I, like, yeah, I don't I, care if you're not having fun. Yeah, just just just
0: watch it. it it's good. You can have fun watching. But yeah, it, it makes a difference. It makes an impact on your life, and it it uh, you changes your perspective on things too.
1: Yeah, I uh I had a, a someone pass away this this year. Oh, actually, before I even said that, you know what I think about too? Because you were just talking about how things affect everything. I now that I have a son, it's like I'm able to see you don't understand anything until you have a kid, right? Like, you know, people, things that happen. And, you know, I look at these, uh, there was like a school shooting and I'm sitting there with um with my girlfriend Vanessa and I'm like, look at the, like, the, you know, they're reporting it and I'm like, I'm trying to think of the chain reaction of a f- how that would affect everyone's life. Like me, as, if that happened to me as a parent and I'm like, I don't, maybe I'd become an alcoholic right and then like my girlfriend doesn't get over it so I was like I don't even know if we would work out after we were just talking about it like I don't she goes I wouldn't be okay I'm like I don't know if I'd be okay maybe I devote my life to you know being against guns or you know I because I was thinking about that because I saw some siblings talk I'm like look at the chain reaction that's going to have for generations on everyone and that that happened to us. like you know I saw these brothers and sisters talk and I'm like they're gonna you know devote their life to probably this thing now you know or this person could easily get come addicted to something i'm like that is insane um that i don't know i was just i i, I started thinking about that just because i had a kid it made me more like being cognizant of of death and how it affects people but i had this year my girlfriend who i was with in uh, my ex girlfriend who i was with in high school for 5 years she just passed away kind of unexpectedly and that was another thing where I, I, I was going through some things. You know, it was some depression, I think, during this whole quarantine. Cause it happened, I think, maybe three months ago, where I'm like, I start writing stuff and I'm like, what's the point? And when am I gonna be able to perform this again? You know, but I, I try it now now I kinda am better about it. But there was a point where a lot of comedians i talked to were getting really depressed about not being able to go up and not having that outlet of being able to go on stage and making people laugh or being coming up with some new joke and you just don't even know if you're gonna be able to try it again like when am i even gonna be able to say this um and that was another thing too because she uh i think the last conversation that she had messaged me is she wanted me to do stand-up at like uh, uh one of the reunions we were gonna have and so those things are always I think I always feel like they like something happens at a time that even I start to think something you know like what am I doing starting to some doubt starts to creep in 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 your head no matter what's going on like I think I think that's a lot of comedians, but I'm very I overanalyze everything. I'm very hard on myself, so I'm no matter I never think I have a good set. Like no matter what happens, I can get off and like people like telling me I'm funny, and I'm like Sigh. I don't know why I, fl- I flubbed that word or I didn't say that second that, that second line. I look like an idiot. Why did I move my hand like that? Why did I touch the stool? Like anything, like I'll never think anything's good.
0: We always do. We, we all do that actually. I mean, we re- literally, we'll all do that at some point or another. Why didn't I? Why shouldn't I? Why didn't this happen? How come I didn't, I didn't think I was good enough. But, you know, in reality, the stuff that I've seen from you, don't worry, you're doing great. I mean, the stuff that I've seen, <laughs> you're doing great. And it's, I appreciate it. it is, it's a continuous, uh, it's a continuous journey. So how... I mean, let's talk about COVID and how it's affected the the business of comedy, basically.
1: Yeah, there's no... I mean, in Sacramento, there's one club, the uh, Laughs Unlimited, that's doing shows right now, and they're doing them with um, like silent disco style with headphones outside because you're, every venue kind of has to be outside um, serving food. So they have it outside on the patio, which is really nice. So we're kind of far away from... The audience members, but they have headphones, and all you hear is our voice, but the headphones are there to drown out outside noise, like cars coming by, because it's in old Sacramento where a lot of, you know, cars, and and there's a lot of traffic. And then people walking by don't catch a free show, and then also, we're allowed to just say whatever we want. She doesn't have to book Clean Comedians, (laughs) because otherwise there might be kids walking by, someone saying something crazy on stage, Uh, but she's the only one going. The rest of them have pretty much been shut down. There's no open mics. Uh, I've been doing some Zoom shows, which are just... I don't even know. That's like a little degrading. Uh, I feel like it's a little. It's it's something. It's it's like forty percent of what comedy is. Like there's no. I don't get the audience in inter- interaction. You know, it's like there's it, some people are doing. I could. See, it's on Zoom. So, I'll see people doing things in their room while I'm talking. Like, they're like folding laundry. I'm like, this is not the same. You know? <laughs> folding, it's, folding laundry. They're full, I've seen someone folding laundry. They're like cleaning. I'm like, as, and I can't even do crowd work because I don't know if everyone can see who I'm talking about if there's people in there. I, I did one show where no one turned on the mics. So no one wanted to participate and turning their mics on. So, there was probably 15 people in there. But so you can't hear any laughter. So, it's I'm literally just talking. And assuming <laughs> they might be laughing, which feels
0: wow.
1: w- worse than bombing because I'm in my garage and I don't even have shoes on. So I'm like bombing in shorts and no and like barefoot. And it's just like, what am I doing?
0: But, well, well, yeah, you need an audience. I mean,
1: people are trying different things. Like some of the bigger comedians are like doing drive-in theater shows, you know, that at, at uh, actual like drive-ins. And then they'll put themselves on screen, the car that people are sitting in cars and they'll flash their lights if they think something's funny. Right. I mean, if people are trying to navigate, you know, and try to find their way through this, we have actually. There's two places that are doing shows. There's there's another one out kind of near me, and I I did that show, um, but there's now there's there's not that many venues, so it's like everyone is trying to get on the few places that are open. Like I'm gonna do a show in in the Bay Area on the 10th, and then one out in uh, like Turlock or Modesto on the 11th. But but in between shows, it's it's like there's not. There's not a ton of live shows. Like the, you, you would normally be able to be booked consistently at places, have weekends at clubs, and just that's just not happening. The we have like three or four major club, big clubs in Sacramento, and the only one that's open is is the Last Unlimited one.
0: And you think that is is all the way down the coast of California probably the same way? I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, LA is worse. LA is LA is super strict, so they're not having anything. They they, they 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 were doing patio shows, and I don't know if like someone called and complained, but they shut. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. In San Diego, they shut down both of them, two shows that were going on that comedy clubs were trying to do everything right outside, social distancing, masks when you come in and all that stuff. But they just said no live entertainment. That's pretty grand. much. So they shut it down.
0: Yeah. I think this this COVID-19 stuff has kind of fundamentally changed the way everything is operating nowadays, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I had a friend who had a lot of stuff rolling. Like he, one of my good friends, um, he... He had just got on Comedy Central. Like He won the stand-up NBC thing before. He he got on um Comedy Central like two two times. He was just on something with Bill Burr. And I'm like – he had a bunch of stuff rolling, and then he – I remember when this stuff started happening, he just started calling me because he was getting depressed. He just started seeing cancel, like dates canceled, these big venues, these things he was supposed to do, tapings and all this stuff, and he's like – So, you know, at every level, um, you start to see it and, and they don't know too, you know, I've been talking to him and he, he's like, man, none of these people know when they'll be able to like shoot something live, you know?
0: Did you know about the, um, we kind of watched it for a little bit in the first couple times that they played it, it kind of. Fell flat, but then we kind of stuck it out. The Tournament of Laughs.
1: Uh, No. What was that on?
0: I think It was on NBC. I might have to ask my wife to verify that. But basically, what they did was they took all of these comedians, and Mm -hmm. then they... One host that was in the studio, and everybody else did a little skit from home. So it had like Preacher Lawson, Margaret Cho, oh, golly, I can't remember...
1: Oh, this is actually big comedians. See, Cho has been around yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah, big, awesome.
0: big name comedians, and uh, and long term. I mean, people that have been around for, I mean, long veteran, huge veterans. And of course, I can't remember the some of the names, but that's just because it's been a long day.
1: But basically, so they did it from their home. They did it just- from their
0: homes. Yeah. And then they would do the little skit, and then everybody would vote on the phone to find out of those two who moved on. And then they narrowed it down, narrowed it down, narrowed it down. You'd see it almost like a, like the, uh, when you, when you do the brackets, for example, for basketball or football, in, you know, the bracket type. Oh, thing. yeah. The March Madness. Yeah. So like you, that. You would see that, and you'd see it narrow down, narrow down, narrow down until they finally got a winner. So it had, um, oh my gosh, I cannot believe some of the other names that they had in there, they were all top name individuals, but it just wasn't the same. I mean, it just, it just really wasn't. I mean, these, these were comedians that we watched on different things or in some form or another <laughs> for 20 years, some of them, and it just was not the same.
1: Do you go to, you, you said you're a fan of comedy. Have you been to like a lot of comedy shows or have you been to clubs out there? We've been to a lot of clubs
0: the- out here, Yeah.
1: So the energy in that room, like if people don't go to comedy shows, like the energy in a room is not transferable to even when people do a taping. I don't think it's the same. Like r- rarely, I think does it transfer, but it's like the energy in a room that you you feel. just you know, you're, and th- this is something that I don't think will ever. I am not sure will ever be the same because it's like comedy clubs would pack people in. Suit so you are like shoulder to shoulder with you know, like people, some people you don't even know, um, so they can fit more people, and then it also is. You know, laughter is contagious, and then, you know, the room's dark, so you don't see each other, uh, so people feel comfortable laughing, and that's just something where I'm like, I don't know if that's ever going to be the same anymore, because now, even before the second shutdown, when they were doing comedy shows, that – People would be far away from the stage, gaps between the tables, you know, and which actually is like the worst thing for comedy. Right. People spaced out, um, no one in the front row, because I like I like being people being right up on me. I like hecklers, too, by the way. I'm not one of those <laughs> like I like being interrupted. I like people yelling stuff out. I'll, I'll, I will I'll abandon my act to just riff on something or to have, to have a conversation <laughs> with somebody.
0: I, I was going to ask you about that. Where do you get your material from?
1: Uh, just like, I like try to write stuff about my, my life or, you know, th- about my dad, you know, things that, a lot of things that are embarrassing, you know, I usually try to put those on the forefront and I'm really, I don't know. I like, I get mad at things. So a lot of it is that me getting angry with people's behaviors, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't talk to, do you talk to your neighbors? I
0: said hi once and she never said hi back. So <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs>
1: Like, I don't talk to my neighbors. Like, I don't, you know. And then this lady across the street came over and asked me, uh, this is around Christmas time, if I'm going to put up, you know, she's like, Have we all put up lights. Are you going to put up lights? And I was going to put them up. I was going to put them up. Like, I had everything by the door, but now I can't because it looks like she told me to. And now <laughs> that's why I'm doing it. So it's, I went inside and then I'm like, I had everything. I was going to do it that night. And I know she's like a smug, like, older lady that you would, I don't think you'd like her either. You know,
0: she, she. She sounds like my next door neighbor. <laughs> she
1: she walks around and acts like she's exercising, but she's just trying to look in my garage. Like I already, I always know she's just like she's nosy because she doesn't go any. She just walks around this end and does a loop back, and I think she just. So I just went outside. I remember, and I threw out like these candy canes that light up, and some other like a uh, some some lights on the on the ground, and I didn't come out the entire day because I knew she was inside watching to see if I'm going to put them up, and I didn't put up lights the entire year. I just left them on the lawn. And I don't know if that's—I I don't know—I feel like I won, but I'm not sure that she is realizes she, she's in a, she's in a war with me.
0: She didn't agree that you won. I,
1: I just have a problem with authority. I think, um, yeah, a lot of that is just—I don't know—I see stuff if I'm if I'm somewhere and I see someone doing something I don't like. I'll if, if something pops in my head, I write it down right then. Um, but some things will just be completely—I just create out of the blue some random blown story about me being a billionaire paperclip owner wealth owner or something like that like those things just kind of come out of nowhere but i've always enjoyed watching really animated people who was your first it influence? was it was i would probably say it was john leguizamo actually he um my dad used to buy all, like every comedy dvd out or whatever taping like I'd, I'd watch prior eddie murphy all those people um sinbad sinbad i really like that he talked to the crowd so much he was a guy that i'm like man this guy just talks to the crowd like no one else is doing that like he's just talking you know to to these people and and being hilarious um but it was John Leguizamo the first guy I saw that I'm like oh this is a guy who kind of like someone I would hang out with like he was uh and I didn't see a lot of there weren't a lot of Asian comics growing up it was like Margaret Cho right. and I think that's it really you know um later on like you'd see like Joe Coy and stuff like that but like <sighs> I didn't have – so he kind of looked similar, but he was also a guy that did some stuff that I did. Like he just had these funny friends. He would do voices, be very animated, and just was telling stories. I'm like, this guy – I would hang out with this guy. He's cool. And he was a guy that I saw, and I'm like, I want to do that one day, the way he's doing it, the kind of like how he's just talking and telling a story. Um, But yeah, I watched everyone. I mean, I used to sit there and just watch Comedy Central, like the A-list back in the day and just i i would see people and i would sit through in everybody it didn't matter i was like ah, that guy didn't seem he wasn't as funny as the last guy but i just wouldn't you know i wouldn't know i would just sit there and watch uh, but my first i can't even remember the first comedy show that i actually went to it was probably someone big i think it might have been like jamie foxx or something like that
0: i mean you uh, educated yourself in reality by watching all of those
1: yeah my dad would buy My dad would buy the ones, you know, in the bargain bins that like at a, a, like a Walmart where no one buys anything out of that bin. It's like $3 and that people leave chips in there, like things they don't want to put back in the right aisle. Like my dad would buy those things. So I'd watch like all these comedian, like no name comedians. So, and just, you know, growing up. And I think my dad could have been a comedian because he public speaks for like a living. So I'd I'd see him throw humor in his uh, speeches. And I think that's where I got a lot of it from.
0: Did he know you wanted to be a comedian at some point?
1: He tells me, I, yeah, I mean, he he, he knew that I like being funny. I don't think he ever told me to do stand up, um, but once I started doing it, like he comes to all my shows, and that's been something that's been really important to me, um, because he he didn't start really like hanging out with his dad and building like a real personal relationship till like maybe like five years before he passed, um, and he would drive to Monterey and always have lunch with them. And I think that really like, um, changed his perspective on his relationship that he should have with me because he didn't start doing that until later. And I think he realized how important that was for him and how important that was for his dad. Cause I don't think they were that, they weren't that close, you know? Um, my, my dad and I didn't get along a lot through the divorce. Uh, my teenage years, um, we got into like a lot of arguments and stuff and, I think there was just like a lot of stuff that we didn't connect on. Like, you know, he, he didn't play a ton of sports The things I was into, he wasn't necessarily into. So then I think once we got older and he started doing that with his dad and then saw me almost following in, in his footsteps in a different way, like, like speaking, um, that's something that he really like took to. And that's been important for me. Cause I, I would have these baseball and basketball games and he wouldn't, he wouldn't be there like I would just be playing. I'd have something good happen. I'd have a good game and like no one in my family saw it. So I just come home and I wouldn't even tell him because I'm like, you weren't there. He'd be like, how did you do it? I'm like, all right, you know, and but now he gets to see and he's very he'll be critical too. he'll let me know. He's like, you need to not do that joke anymore. That joke's not funny. <laughs> like and I trust his judgment. Because he talks, you know, and he, he does public speak. He'll tell me I need to, He He would always tell me that he's he like, "You got to slow down. You're talking too fast. And I, other comics would hear him say that to me. Like, Jesus, that's how your dad talks to you? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to hear I did well. Like, what do you want? You want a pat on the back? Like, I, I want to hear. I want to get better. Like, I want I need to hear these things.
0: Well, and that, that's a very positive thing, actually, because not everybody gets that opportunity. I'm glad you guys got to reconnect.
1: Yeah. and And that's the thing that I think I've been really happy that. About comedies, I've a lot of people that he's bought DVDs of, or, or bought, you know, been able, you know, used to watch on TV. I've able, been able to bring him in to a comedy club to like meet, you know, because I could, I was either working with that person or you know, I just work at the club, so they'll just let let me in and bring. Me in. They know my dad now, so he knows all the local comedians. He's seen everybody here, and yeah, he got to see Sinbad. He got to meet Mark Curry. I took him to see Mike Epps. Um, and all these people, like he just got to meet Brett Ernst, um, yesterday, you know, last week. Uh, so that was, you know, and I think that's one of the best things that I've, I've gotten out of, out of comedy besides meeting, you know, a bunch of other comedians.
0: That's amazing. That's, that really is actually amazing. I'm glad you got to reconnect like that. Like I said, it's, I'm a child of divorce myself. So I 100% understand. See, you performed in the 2019 world series of comedy. That must've mm-hmm. been like amazing.
1: Yeah, I'd done it before. That's one of the biggest things I think that's helped me um, is because it's it's so many. Everyone's good in that thing. Um, That one and the San Francisco International Comedy Competition, like there's certain like once you get start doing, everyone's good. Like and then it's just kind of a matter of who's on that night and who kind of, you know, whatever related to the crowd more. But those things help because the. Uh, one of the guys who runs at Jason Rowland, he'll give you critiques on your set after, if you want to go ask him. He'll and he's and I, I trust his judgment, but like I'll always go ask him. You know what could I have done better? And a lot of people don't. He told me that he's like, dude, he goes, I I tell people I'll give them, you know, the critiques of what they can improve on. He goes, you'd be surprised, like, no, how many people don't come and ask? Oh. And I'm like, they don't want to hear it, or they don't want to know, or their ego won't let them think they did anything wrong. You know?
0: Ego. Ego is the downfall of many.
1: Yeah, if I could take that out of comedy, I think I would like comedy a lot better. I, <laughs> people's egos is disgusting in, in comedy. You think people are – I mean people – it's probably that way in a lot of professions, but people think they deserve things. People are delusional and think they had a good se- – Some, sometimes people will get off and they'll – Come up to me, or I hear him talking to someone else saying they killed. And I'm like, You did not just, I was just in the room. Like, you just, you just bombed. Like, how did you not, how are you not aware of what just happened? And they'll, they'll stay around and hang out like nothing's wrong. Where I would need to go home, I wouldn't talk to anyone and take a cold shower to punish myself. Like, and scream, I'd scream all the way home. Cause you need, I'm not gonna sit here and talk to you. Like, I just, like everything's okay. It's embarrassing. I feel like I, sh- I should go home. I don't deserve to talk to anybody.
0: Yeah, somebody <laughs> that um, ego unfortunately steps in in the middle of stuff that shouldn't step in the middle of.
1: It's really big in comedy. It's the, 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 there are some of the comedians posts are very self grandiose.
0: How did it feel to perform on a U.S. naval ship?
1: Um, that was actually on the um, San Nicholas Island. So we in where were we in Orange County? Not Orange, somewhere in L.A. And then we flew out there. Uh, that was cool, man. Because they had a bunch of um. Like that, that, that island's been around forever and they just do a bunch of like testing and stuff out there and like, like there's nothing else for them to do. So they're just, they're chilling. And, uh, that was cool because I, I really feel like those are all like steps where I'm like, this is something that I always thought would be cool to do to be able to, like, I'm not in the military, you know, but I was like, it's, these guys are doing, you know, protecting or, you know, the reason that I'm able to have freedom. So it's like cool to provide them with some sort of uh, entertainment while they're just stuck there because they weren't you know they're just playing ping pong or something like that and they're just like they actually get to come and uh see some you know some uh, some comedy. So that was a, a, that was a real fun time to go to, to to the island.
0: It was pretty cool. We just watched Eliza Schlesinger. Schlesinger? Mm-hmm. We just watched one of her specials where she was on a on a uh, naval face and had given that she said it was one of the most satisfying performances she had done because she got to perform for the military that you know normally wouldn't have had the opportunity to come see her
1: yeah and that's another thing i think i've liked doing is like benefit shows um being able to help out in a different way like uh, the paradise fires are kind of close to where we're at remember when that whole town burned down um and they threw a show out here um and it was just to raise money for like two families came that were kind of lost everything. And I remember that I just feeling like, this I'm actually getting to help these people. Like one of the guys came up crying, like because he he you know they ended up getting a good amount of money after, just everyone donating to him, and it really just felt like I was glad to be able to help something like that, you know, and 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 make these people laugh who have been devastated by losing everything you know i I talked to the guy he's a funny guy too because he's he could tell he just drinks a lot like he had a beard (laughs) and and i was like what i was like how did like what was your what was happening during he goes i didn't he's like they didn't they said that the fires were coming, but they really underestimated the time. He's like, so you kind of see him over the hill. He's like, I'm just drinking out there with some buddies. And then you start seeing some kind of ash, like some like start falling near us. And he's like, then I go look over the hill and it's right behind the hill where I'm at. Because he's like, oh. you can't see over. And he said he saw smoke. He's like, man, we we're out there drinking. And he said a big thing too was that they're out there, you know, up in the, in the sticks. He goes, a lot of us have, we had just, it was like around the season where they stock up on propane. So everyone had a ton of propane, like, on their property, and that was a huge thing where it was just, you know, adding to everything.
0: That was crazy. I'm glad you got the opportunity to do that. Um, if somebody was – or something else I wanted to ask you about. So what are some of the clubs you normally perform at in, uh, like in the Sacramento area? Uh,
1: Laughs Unlimited. Tommy T's was – well, they closed down, but I used to go there all the time um, and, and used to uh, – I would even nights I'm off there, I would just bartend there too. Um, Punchline uh, is in Sacramento as well. Sacramento comedy spots like downtown, and that's where I kind of like got my – last unlimited and comedy spot where I really gained a lot of my footing because those are open mics that I, I would go practice at um, at the most. Um, blacktop comedy kind of closed down. San Francisco Punchline and Cobb's, or uh, other clubs, but um, out of town. More recent, like right before this, I was supposed to go up to Portland, or I'm sorry, to Oregon, and I was going to do like Medford and Coos Bay. Uh, I got, or like back what, like right before all this stuff happened, I had just done a uh, Seattle Underground um, and uh, Portland uh, Harvey's Comedy Club, which I really liked. And I like going out of town because like those when you perform all uh, you know uh, around here and when I perform around my area I'm always like somebody may have seen me before and then I was like ah, I don't want to do this these same jokes I'm going to do something different but when you go out of town I know no one's heard them so I get re-energized about my my act I get re-energized about my set I'm like no one knows me here no one even knows if I'm funny I could bomb and that's fun. I like doing that when I go in there uh, sitting at the bar And if someone hears that I'm the comedian, they're always very judgmental. Like, are you funny? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, not not the way you just. I'm not. Like, like, I'm never confident enough to be like, yeah, come watch. Like, I'm like, people sit there drinking all the time. Like, all right, if you if you're funny, I'll get you a shot after. If not, then I'm gonna walk out. Like, all right, Jesus. People are very. uh,
0: (laughs) I guess it's better than walking up saying, "Uh, "Do you suck?"
1: (laughs) Yes, that's. Or I come in and then I'm like, yeah, I'm checking in. I'm the comedian. Like, you're the comedian? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't know what you're expecting me to look like. <laughs> oh, I think people nice. think yeah, I'm supposed to look like a mess. You know, like some overweight guy with curly hair would just barbecue. Because people like think like comedians are always just, you know, just a me- <laughs> like that's how they used to be in the 80s and 90s. Just you're a wreck. They were living out of their van, they lived with, you know, or they live with their parents, they're alcoholics. I think that's kind of changed a lot now. Now it's become a lot more, Diverse. I don't know. Yeah. And then you see people like. Normal-looking people doing it. Well, you're you're half
0: Filipino and half Japanese, right?
1: Yeah, dad's <laughs> Japanese, mom's Filipino.
0: Is that has that had been a a hindrance or a benefit?
1: I think it's been a benefit in that there's not a ton of Asian comedians in our area. I don't even know how many other male Asian comedians there are, um, but there's just not a lot. Uh, and I think it helps because people always want diversity in their lineups anyway, but I think it helps because I'm not talking like a normal – I don't go up there and say maybe what someone would think an Asian comedian is going to say. Like I'm not going up there doing accents and doing some things that I kind of like – I don't necessarily – if you're good at it, that's good, but I don't always like when people try to play up the fact that they're like, oh, I'm an Asian guy, and then they make fun. I'm like they're laughing at you. Not because you said something funny, you know, you just you literally just are making fun of the way your mom talks by doing the accent. And I like some of the comedians that are good at it, but I've seen a lot of people kind of play up on it where I'm like, dude, they're laughing at you. And I'm not I don't know. I I try to be I don't try to be different, but I'm I know that I am different in that I'll attack crowds. I'm a lot more aggressive than a lot of other male comedians that I've seen um, in the area. Uh, But I do think it helps. I I always feel like there's a certain chip on my shoulder that maybe this is something wrong with me, but I think that the audience thinks that they can punk me or they can they can heckle me and I'm Asian. So I'll just be quiet and take it. And that's not my dad is not like that. My dad has always been like, you stick up for yourself. So if I see anything wrong, I think that's why I get so uh, defensive on stage where I'll start, you know. Not being mean, but I'll I'll definitely not let someone take control of the room.
0: Well, you stand standing ground, especially with hecklers.
1: Yeah, you I hand- enjoy them.
0: Well, yeah, you handle hecklers. You handle them. You don't. You don't, You shut them down, but in, in in a nice way.
1: Yeah, I like them because it gets me out of my set, out of a routine, and I could just be funny in the moment and just like talk to this guy, you know, who's you know yelling or drunk. I've had yeah, I've had, I've had drunk women like walk in front of me. Like, like at bar shows, bar shows are the worst because there's no, sometimes there's no stage. You're just on the ground and like some, you know, drunk lady in a fur coat. I remember who came up and started like hugging me during my set. She was just hammered. And I just, my whole set was about her This delusional. And it was a small town, so she can't even get kicked out. You know, like I knew that she knew everyone there, so they're not going to kick her out. So I was like, oh, this is i I'm going to have to deal with her for the next 30 minutes.
0: That's funny. What would you recommend if somebody was trying to break into the business?
1: I would say write something down or, you know, story, jokes, whatever. That's five minutes worth and rehearse it and then go to and uh, sign up for an open mic. Maybe bring one person so you can get up. Don't bring up. Don't make it a big deal uh, because it's I mean, it is your first time up, but you kind of want like a genuine response. And if you bring all your friends, you're going to get they're just going to laugh for you, you know, so I would ma- not make it a big deal. Practice it so you can get through the five minutes. Uh, work on taking a microphone out of a stand. Just it, all the stuff you can control, you can practice beforehand. Walking on stage, get a mic, talk into the mic, talk slow, pause pause where you think there should be laughter. And really just focus on getting through that five minutes. At, at most open mics, they're three to five minutes. Do your time. Don't go over it. And... Whatever expectations on your head, they're not going to happen either way. Like you're not getting a Netflix deal based off your first set. You're not going to get a standing ovation and you're not going to get booed off stage. People are going to be supportive, but it's not going to be like you go up one time and like someone's like, oh, that's the next Eddie Murphy. Like I've never seen it. Like I've, I've seen people be good for their first time, but it's never like you're still new and just keep going. It, literally, that's the process. Anything that got a laugh, you take home, put like an X by it. Do that again. Make it shorter, and then go up again. And anything that didn't get a laugh, replace it with something or change it, and and work on it. And then just keep trying to until until that until you have a five minutes. That's good. That gets consistent laughs.
0: What's your next move?
1: Uh, my next move is just to keep working on 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 jokes sets uh try to make i mean right now is like you know the sets are far and few between hopefully this stuff i'm wondering how it's going to be around winter because you know they're doing like i said everything's outside the shows i don't know what they're going to do once the winter hits um but just looking at my set doing uh, trying to be creative and working on the podcast more i put more energy into that lately um you know talking to you know other comics from all over the place and. I've really been trying to just put more in, in, into that and just writing because that's all you kind of can do. But I, I do try to, to rehearse and everything and try to stay on top of my act. Cause it, each time this time in between you, you just get more rusty if you're not doing it.
0: I agree with that. Tell me more about your podcast.
1: Uh, it's called a uh, random thoughts and I call it that way just cause I'm kind of like all over the place. I don't really, you know, um, ever stay on topic here, but, I started it early on when I started comedy because I, I wanted to kind of just get the process of trying to become a comedian, like a professional comedian. And there was always like podcasts out and you hear, you know, Rogan, Burr, where you listen to. Um, and they're already – they already made it. And they always – you just hear them kind of reflect back on like, yeah, I used to go to open mics 20 years ago, but they're doing arenas now, you know. And it's like I wanted to capture all that during – My thought process. So early on, it was like I'm still just barely getting on shows, and I'd play clips, say what I need to work on. Sometimes I'd play myself bombing. Sometimes I'd play crowd work, and really just documenting of like where where I was at. Now I've kind of just started to have more comedians on, but I still talk about like we know where we're at and um you know with stand up. But I really wanted to capture the ups and downs that I was going through, Um, because sometimes I would have a good set, sometimes I wouldn't. You know, when I first started doing Tommy T's, it's a predominantly like black room. I was really struggling there. Um and it was because I was too tense. It was because I wasn't loose. I was like, how do I do this? So I started going to all like the black the black rooms in Sacramento, like practic going to the open mics, doing as much as I could. That was just something that I, I really had to work on because I was like, man, I'm not doing well in this room. So like those are things where I'm like, any anything I needed to work on at the time, like I'll kind of talk about it. I'll kind of like uh, say how I'm going to attack it, how I'm going to try to fix the problem, um, and just things that I'm working on in my set.
0: How do you normally get booked? Do you book, you, you book yourself or do you have somebody that books you?
1: Now, Well, clubs, you can kind of hit them for your available dates. You know, if you're past there at, at clubs, you have to normally audition with them and they see you. Or another headliner can bring you through and say, hey, I'm bringing him take a look at them and you get in that way uh but yeah clubs you'll hit up with dates and stuff like that but normally people just reach out once you've been doing it longer once they know you you always get them through other comedians they'll just message me like on facebook say hey are you available to close out the show on this date I'm like all right and the longer you do it the more selective you can be i uh had it. in the beginning you just gotta take anything like i would take you know a, a five minute set two hours away for free it the guy doesn't know me i was like i just want to get up um but you could be a little bit more selective as as you're going on and you know and and there's more pressure because you're starting to i started closing out more shows so it's like you really need to be able to like th- there there could be some monsters before you who crush you know so you better be on your stuff so it's like oh just working on all that but yeah the uh bookings all happen through other comics if they're not through and you can read you could always apply to festivals and things like that. Those are really fun. Cause those are just like a vacations for comedians. Like you just go do like a seven minute set, but you're hanging out with all these other comics from all over the country.
0: You have any last words of wisdom for anybody?
1: Um, I would just say like the, the reason I hit you up to do the podcast is cause like, I, like I didn't see anyone's podcast like, like, like that, uh, about yours. And it was like really that your time here is, is limited. Um, and like whatever you're trying to do, whatever you want to do, your aspirations, your goals, like just go do them. Like you'll feel so much better. And like your life, I since I've started comedy and been doing it, like I, my life has changed in that I've met some of the funniest people in the, in the world. Um, I kind of found like my purpose. I feel, I always felt you know, when I was working in the office, I'm like, I don't belong here. like, I I don't, I shouldn't be working here. I shouldn't, you know? And like, since I've started, you know, anytime you ask someone, you're like, what's your dream job? Like, I don't have to say that anymore. I don't have to say, I wish I would be doing this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do pursuing a dream. I'm like trying to, um, trying to do it. And since that's happened, it's really changed my life because I, I no longer have, some sort of you you that's why a lot of people are angry. That's why a lot of people are stressed. They don't and they not, you know, they're not doing what they want to be doing. They're at a job they hate, maybe they're in a relationship they don't want to be in. So when they leave their job, they come home and like if you're unhappy anywhere, just leave. Get out, go do something else. Like don't wait like it it'll it will be better. You'll adjust. And I just think that realizing losing people in my life uh, like Jr. my my ex girlfriend, one of my sister's best friends just passed away this past year as well, and he has two kids. He just opened up a fitness place. Was just on Good Day Sacramento with a news channel the day like two like a week before, you know, looked healthy. Um, but he had leukemia, and it was full blown when he went in, and there was there was nothing they could do. Like he went in because he thought he was like sick, and he just found out. Um, but I've seen so many people pass and it's really just gave me a different perspective on life and my motivation, what I want to do while I'm here and just not waiting and getting over the fact that, yeah, you know what? You're going to be judged, but like, who cares? Like that those people really matter. Like, do they really matter? Um, And I've been just using that as my motivation to keep going forward. And the more I do it, I think the more focused I become about it.
0: That's it. Excellent words of wisdom actually. Thank you very much for sharing your journey. No and problem. The conversation with you I really appreciated our conversation. I uh, I had fun.
1: Appreciate it, Michael. Thanks for having me on.
0: Um how can somebody find your podcast? Uh
1: you can just go to uh it's a Random Thoughts with Robert Amoto on uh, anything iTunes or um, Spotify. I have an Instagram page too, just uh Random Thoughts uh podcast. It'll pop up. Um, as well. So there'll be links to it in uh, in, the, in the bio that way. Or you can go to www.robertomoto.com. I've got some stand up clips on there and links to the podcast and whatever shows happen to be happening uh, will we'll be on there as well.
0: And I'll put those in my show notes as well on before you go podcast.com. Robert, thank you very much for sharing your journey today. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to meet you, and you are a funny guy.
1: No problem. Thank you, Michael. Thanks
0: for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.